This podcast is brought to you by Shout Engine. In less than five minutes, you can start your own podcast for free with ShoutEngine.com. Hey, everyone. Uh, it's Chris. Uh, it's about uh, 9 a.m. here on February 7th, and I figured I'd chime in and let you guys know this is uh, the last in an Arsema series. Uh, i got to throw a shout-out to uh, our friends at Magnaflow, and um, I also want to thank you guys for listening. I know some of you don't didn't find these to be your favorites, but uh, they really do help Jeff and I out in a pinch when we can't do another show. Uh, as of next week, we'll be back to our normal schedule. Um, and uh, once again, thank you to Magnaflow so much for helping us out. You guys should really go and check out their products. Um, I mean, it's kind of obvious. They've been around for a long time, but they really do build quality shit, and uh, I've got it on both of my cars. So uh, thanks again, and uh, thanks to all of our guests at, Mag- at the uh, Magnaflow booth as well. Live once again from SEMA 2017, right in front of Magnaflu on on their stage. We are doing the SEMA podcast. This is Hooniverse. Dan Sandberg from, from Brembo is our guest once again. You were a pleasure to have on last year. Well, thank Welcome you. back. Yeah, well, thanks for inviting me back. Uh, I thought this booth would be a little quieter with the Magnaflow, right? Yeah, yeah, you know. it's you, The funny thing is, as you say that, and there was actually a lot of consideration for acoustics put into it. We just kind of didn't anticipate somebody blasting us from across the way. A lot of fun here at SEMA this year, you know. I, I, to yeah. me, it looks more crowded than it's ever looked. I don't know how you you see it. Yeah, well, you know, the funny thing is, is I don't even get to see that much of it because I'm here either kind of managing the stage or doing my own shows. So uh, I get to walk around a little bit. Did you uh, did you get to peruse the uh, aisles a little bit? Or? I did, I did. Yesterday I got a little bit of a chance. You know, like you, uh, I uh, do an internal podcast. We talked yep. a little bit about that. And uh, we communicate with our employees that way. And uh, our employees love to hear from our customers, uh, which is what's one of the things I always say, right? Listen to your customers. So we have podcasts with different customers, and that could be anyone from, like, Jim Campbell, you know, head of performance yep. at GM, to Jay Leno. Uh, or Tanner Faust, for yep. example. So we do the users uh, and guys who really look at our stuff, and uh, it's interesting. You know, sometimes we get some very, very candid comments from them about what we could do better or what they're looking for from a product side. So, I mean, that's good to hit the employees directly then, because they know that it's not getting filtered through you guys first, and they're getting the honest opinion. Exactly, exactly. You know? And then maybe that's a little bit of a motivator for it. This department, yeah, maybe you guys need to do a little better this time. Well, you know, and it is, and I, but I, I have to tell you, I mean, we have gotten really spectacular feedback from a customer standpoint. Uh, I'm sorry, from an employee standpoint, yeah. from the customers when they actually sit down and they say, you know, you get a, you get a guy who's driving 200 miles an hour, let's say a MotoGP, mm-hmm. and he says, you know, I really appreciate the help I get from you guys. You know, we're going 200 miles an hour, and it's great to know that when I break. I'm not going into the wall, you know. And, that that uh, is a positive. Uh, but it reinforces what we do for a living. You know, we have a safety component, and everybody, you know, talk, everybody talks about what our stuff looks like, and, you know, it has good stopping power and whatever. But you are talking lives. I mean, it is a safety component, and it's uh, critical to a lot of users who use, pretty much everybody who uses our brakes, I think, doesn't want doesn't to know that they're not going to stop. Yeah, I mean, whenever somebody asks me what parts should I put on my car, I go, well, if it, leave the engine alone, do your suspension, then do your brakes, and then do your engine. That's true. I mean, I, I, I'm sure you would like to see the brakes before the suspension, but... 
you know, uh, the promotional commercial side of me says yes. Mm-hmm. The technical side of me says no. We like to know what the heck we're stopping. Yeah. <laughs> so it would be good to know about the engine. But uh, it's good that you guys don't have that internally just because of an organization the size of Brembo, you know, and I've certainly worked in companies that large, is you can start to feel like a number. And this gives you a little more perspective on, you know, once you, once again, like you said, direct feedback from the client. So it's nice to get that kind of personal touch to it. Well, you know, what we noticed, to be honest with you, is, is I have a pretty good management team. You know, we have about 10, let's say 10 to 12 guys who, uh, you know, more or less report directly to me. Mm-hmm. We communicate very, very well. We talk about stuff. So our systems guys know what the disc guys are doing, know what the aftermarket guys are doing, know what the motorcycle guys are doing. You know, all of our five business units are pretty much intertwined on the management side. Mm-hmm. But what I started to notice is, is I'd go out to the floor or I'd go out and talk to people or I'd have other meetings I'd attend and I'd talk about something and I could see some of our people didn't know. So yeah. at the second layer, a lot of the things that were going on in the company, a lot of the challenges we had weren't really getting conveyed, at least weren't getting conveyed in enough detail that people really felt that they really understood what's going on. Right. So I said, how are we going to, you know, we got to cut through all that, mm-hmm. that maze and I want that, I want everybody who's rowing in the boat to be rowing in the same direction. So you have to yeah. find some effective way to communicate. I know when I go into, you know, because I've done a lot of consulting work over the year on technical stuff, and yep. it, it's, you know, people come in and they go, well, I want you to do this little thing. And it's very hard to kind of make the considerations for your part of the project without knowing what the bigger picture is, which, you know, when it comes to something as critical as safety components, you know, yeah. I'm sure that's super, super helpful. To me, I don't know what you find. I mean, well, you're in the podcast business, so you yeah. know what really, you know, and that's why we went to a podcast format, you know, is because we felt that people don't want to read. I mean, we have a newsletter. It's pretty. It's got a lot of pictures and whatever, uh, but at the end of the day, they look at the picture. You know, we're in, a, yeah. we're in a very active media world, and I said, let's do a podcast. They can download it. They can take it home with them. They can listen to it. A lot of people listen to it in the car on yeah. the way home. They got that commute. Well, and it certainly beats sitting in a conference call, you know, where the conference call type, you know, meetings where you get the qu- you get a quarterly update from the execs. I've sat in those, you know. This is doesn't work. Yeah. Everybody's doing their emails. Everybody zones out. Exactly, exactly. And so uh, we, you know, we get a lot of feedback. And then, and then, as as a suggestion of our employees, they said, "Hey, can we hear from our customers?" I said, "You know, that's a great idea." Right. So it's amazing. We, we've uh, uh, we've interviewed some really, really great people uh, and uh, very, very interesting stories. You know, Tanner's story is, yeah. a, is a great oh, story. Tanner's always got a story. Uh, even Jay Leno was a, was an interesting story because I found out from the reality of it is, is Jay Leno is really more of a car guy than he is a than he is an entertainer. I, I really yeah. he is a, and he is a smart guy when it comes to cars. He really does. He's it's, he's not just one of these guys just he's collected a bunch of cars. Encyclopedic. He may not be as hands-on mechanically as some people are, but his... And sorry about that. We had a minor technical hiccup. GarageBand did something that I've only ever seen once in the seven years I've been using it. Did we lose anything in the background? We lost no? absolutely nothing. Oh, okay, good. So, we'll pick right up. We, I think we lost maybe two seconds of, right. of discussion. Sorry, Jay. Uh, yeah, so you were saying, Jay, you know, it's... Uh, I think you were saying he's encyclopedic, and I agree with that. Yeah, I mean... I don't know too many people that know how to start up a Stanley Steamer. True story. Yeah. I don't know how. Do you? I only know roughly from watching Jay do it and at that point almost burning the hair off his head. (laughs) (laughs) Which, you know, if you're dealing with... uh, you're dealing with uh, liquid petroleum running, you know, running through a heating system. Did you see his rollover, that that video where he rolled over? That was hanky. 
Oh, man. <laughs> Couldn't believe that. That was entirely on the driver. But he was still funny after it. Did you notice that? He, those guys got very lucky coming out of that one. But, yeah, Jay just got up and started cracking jokes. Yeah. You know, that yeah. was... I give them all the credit in the world. There's not too many 60-year-old guys that'll go and get in a wreck like that, get out and be like, eh, let's start yeah. making jokes. <laughs> but anyway, so it's been, you know, it's been a very, very effective tool for us, and uh, you know, we're going to keep doing it. We you just have ever, to give a little variety in just it. Just out of curiosity, you ever take Q&A from the, from the employees? Um, um, you know, we have an open email, so at the end of each podcast, we say if you have questions, comments, oh, or okay. whatever, you know, send it to our podcast at, yeah, that's uh, kind of how we Rambo. handle things. Com, you yeah, know? and uh, we get we get comments. We get uh, you know I hate to, I, I don't want to pat ourselves on the back too much, but uh, our team gets a lot of uh, uh, kudos and thanks for bringing that guy on to talk to us. We really like. I that mean, frankly, like it that. just sounds like a very nice open corporate culture at that point. We hope so. That's you the know. idea. Well, I, honestly, yeah. I can. I mean, I've had I talked to a lot of people about podcast stuff, obviously, and I maybe had two other big companies approach me about like we want to do something internally, and that's it, and they didn't even follow through. So. Well, you know, and to me, I, at the end of the day, I think it's important that, uh, you know, that I show the passion for the business. I mean, I love working at Brembo. Yeah. All right. I love the products. I love the people we're dealing with. And not just the people, you know, who are paying me my money every day. Right. Uh, but I, I love working with the staff that we have and uh, the people. And there's nothing wrong, I think, with showing the appreciation, showing that enthusiasm. Uh, for the company, because I, I think we're, you know, I think we're not just a, we're not just a pretty caliper. We're, no, we're no. a very nice, we're a very great, you know, very very good company to work for. That's that's encouraging to hear. I mean, so beyond kind of inside insider stuff in the company. Yep. Um, what are you guys? Uh, what are you guys showing off this year that maybe uh, maybe attention grabbing? You know, a couple things I think uh, that I'm happy to say that we do, and that is we finally have a product. Uh, that I think has been developed for the big trucks, you know, that are out Ooh, there. That's interesting. I didn't even think of you guys. We talked a that. little. We talked a little bit about it. I think briefly in the podcast last year, but yeah. uh, we were designing uh, with uh, a GM. Uh, uh, first, we took a look at a lot of their trucks, and we have this what we call a K2XX kit. Uh, but it is a kit that you can get in the Chevy Performance Catalog. Uh, is that the one, like, big 15-inch rotor or something like that? It's big rotors. Yeah. It's big calipers. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, the Chevy Performance logoed type thing. And they go on uh, Suburban, Tahoe. Uh, we've seen them on Escalades. And they're continuing to qualify a number of our parts uh, for kits on their vehicles. So we have Camaro kits and things like that. And it's not just, uh, and this is something we talk about a little bit with GM, but, you know, they like its checkbox option, for example. So right. if you buy your truck, you just check it off and the dealer can put it on. Or you can buy it after. And it comes yeah, why with not? Hardware. I mean, it's, it's all modular, right? Yeah. yeah. So you can buy it after. It comes with all the hardware. comes with instructions. I wouldn't do it. I mean, I, even though I sell, I mean, I would let, I yeah. would let the dealer put it on. Uh, well, if but you let the, the dealer the day, put it on and you're buying it after, I'm sure it's still warrantied, too. Yep. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. it's warrantied even if you put it on. Oh, you know, uh, you you know it's, it's a product. I think I have, to, I have to think if that's really the case, but I think at least the manufacturability of the part, you know. Well, I mean, if it's itself. a factory part, effectively. Yep. You yeah. know. But it's... So. Um, but it's, you know, to me, uh, it's one of those things. I mean, it's, I had a conversation the other day with, with, with a truck guy who came over and said, I have this GM truck, and uh, can you tell me a little bit more about your kit? And I said, yeah, you know, it's about time that you guys got a good-looking kit to yeah. put on your – and he looked at me kind of crazy, and I said, what? You know, and he said, 
I, I know it looks good, he said, but I really need it to, to stop. He said, I got big loads in my in my truck, and yeah. it's not stopping the way I want it to stop. Well, I think you guys have that covered. You've been doing it for a few years. Yep, and, and it does. I mean, that's that's one of the reasons we looked at it is, uh, you know, we, we thought it adds that additional stopping power that these guys need. I mean, the OEMs do a very admirable job in terms of getting those things out the door with a fairly deep braking system, and, you know, they're doing exhaust brake and all that stuff. But, you know, obviously these trucks get modified quite a bit. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of sensitivity. And there's sensitivity for us at Brembo, too. I mean, we use a OE mentality on all the kits that we sell. Well, you guys are OE for a lot of it. Correct. Yeah. Um, but even, the, you know, even the kits that we put on cars and everything else that we sell, I guess what you would call in the aftermarket, um, that you can get, you know, we use an OE in- mentality to qualify those kits. So if you're putting a kit, one of our kits on a car, mm-hmm. all right, even though that the kit was not specifically made for OE application, we still run it through very, very similar testing to make sure it's homologated for the specific vehicle that you're putting it on, which I can't say that all of our competitors who make kits really do. No, know? I mean, there's some people that make some some decent product, but I don't see the kind of level of QA. But, I mean, they're also not, you know, not to make excuses, but they're not playing at the same level that you are for the most part. You guys are way ahead. Well, and I, and I appreciate that. But, you know, to me, I, I wouldn't want a kit that hasn't been homologated for the specific yeah. application to go, not a brake kit. All right. I mean, if yeah. you're talking a radio or you're talking well, a mirror, it, I mean, it amazes fine, me the number you know? of people that skimp on tires and brakes. And I'm like, those are the two most important parts. I agree. You know, a cash flow is part of it. You know, I've had yeah. I had a discussion the other day with one of the race teams, new race team that's out there, and he was talking about our pricing on some of our race components. And he said, you know, I really do some stupid things financially, but it's a cash flow thing. You know, he said, I go race yeah. to race to race. I got to win to make money to pay for my race team. I can't afford your brakes, even though he said I probably need to buy one or two sets of your brakes for the season, mm-hmm. where I end up buying four sets or five sets of the other guys because it's cheaper. He says, and it'll cost me, you know, 40, 50, 60% more if I would have just bought your brakes. He says, but it's a cash flow issue. And we understand that, and that's what yeah. we continue to work on. Um, but that's why we have some of our race guys, too, that they don't know about. I actually put them in touch with some of our race guys yeah. who can do a finance deal. We can do some things financially it's, to help those know, guys out. Not, run a nice uh, Brembo banner across, you know, certain race teams and things like that. Deals can be arranged, right? It can be arranged. It yeah. can be arranged. So you just have to be creative when it comes to that. Yeah, I mean, that's the way it is with everybody here for the most part. Everybody's willing to work, especially with race teams and people like that that are going to give them, you know, a lot of positive coverage. That's why you go to these shows. Exactly. Right? I mean, that's you that you should have that contact with uh, with your customer. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really key. And, and, of course, then that keeps your name nice among the performance crowd, although I don't think you're going anywhere anytime soon as far as high regard. I mean, you're on everything now. You're on absolutely everything for the most we part. We try to be. We try to be. There are a lot of – but there are, you know, again – uh, in a in a market like we're in right now, in, a, in an economy like we're in like now, there's always new guys, you know. So you got to keep got to keep your eye, got to have eyes in the back of your head, even though sometimes you don't want to look back. So <laughs> I had a conversation with a friend of mine that's that's he runs Motor Affair podcast, which will actually be recording a little after us, mm-hmm. uh, and we were talking about carbon ceramic stuff last night. What is the barrier actually keeping that from coming down to a, a, a less expensive level? Because obviously we're seeing it on BMWs, we're seeing it on, on the high-end Chevy stuff, um, but it's not filtering down quite yet. Where, where's that barrier? Capacity. 
Just yeah. manufacturing capacity. Manufacturing capacity, I'd say. Look, the, the, the materials themselves are expensive, more expensive. Yeah. Uh, but the, the manufacturing process for, first of all, carbon-carbon, right, which is not the same thing as carbon-ceramic. Right. All right, but it's, it's similar. Uh, but and carbon ceramic is a much much longer process. I mean, carbon 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 is a very very long process. But carbon ceramic is a longer process, more complicated process, uh, and capacity. Now, I will tell you, Brembo is doing some things to hopefully improve our capacity uh, and the manufacturing process for our carbon ceramic. Yes. Yeah, so maybe so. someday, you know. Five ten years out, we'll see that in a Camaro SS or, or a Mustang GT or something like that. Well, you know, you can get those packages now. Now yeah. you're talking about regular I'm talking about production, right, right? Off the, right off the line, yeah, and not in the top tier models, you know. Well, you know, it's you know, I get the question a lot: is you know, what do you see really coming up? And and we do see a lot bigger ad- adaptation of uh, Carmen Ceramic in the future. But I agree with you; it's still not within. You know, within the the, the uh, reaching power of a lot of people, but I will tell you from a pricing standpoint, take a you know a Chevy Corvette, you can get an option there, which I think is like five six grand for yeah. carbon ceramic, which I would never ten years ago, I would have told you that you'll never see yeah. that. I mean, it's funny you can see factory takeoff uh, kits off the last gen ZR1, mm-hmm. you know, the, of your making that you know are effectively brand new on eBay, like six seven thousand dollars. Yep. You know, some race team gets it and they want to go to a bigger setup and it goes out on eBay, you know, the original ones, and that's a steal at that kind of price. You know, it's, and it is a great break. Uh, you know, I, I'm lucky enough to have a car that has carbon ceramic on it. What are you driving and, now? Uh, uh, well, I have a Porsche. Okay. So, uh, and I have uh, uh, I have this carbon ceramic brakes. and The it's, PCCB uh, setup. Oh, it's a... It's a, do you even bother? Do you personally even bother switching out to a higher tier? Or are you just like, nah, that's good enough for me. We're making these. I, I trust them. They're change the color. Yeah. <laughs> so I did change the color. I went from yellow, uh, the yellow caliper, to the uh, neon green caliper. What color is the car? White. That would look good. It that does. or with a dark gray, that would look really good. It. You know, it's funny about it is is the yellow looked great, but the bright greenish yellow that you've seen it's you can see it on the 918 very similar yeah color. to be it, honest it, i'm not the biggest fan of that color on that but really it's, pops it's, it's really good branding though because everybody knows that's the pccb setup yeah and if you look at my car i mean it uh you know it's got those calipers and it's got license plates says brake hard so oh well, that's good it thing. works <laughs> what just what what, uh, what spec is the 911 uh turbo s oh yeah that's a dope car yeah. what yours yours 17 Oh, you get the new revision. Yeah, you got it. You got the fresh, fresh. It's an one. animal. It's yeah. really an animal. Yeah, they're great. People don't realize like there's like no drivetrain backlash in those cars. It's just the most efficient drivetrain. It is uh, the most reactive. You know, you, you, you see, you talk about turbos, and you know, you talk about there's there's no turbo lag. There's no, and it is a it is a car that uh, can be as docile. Uh, or as aggressive as you want it to be, and when you're, you know, you're driving 50, 60 miles an hour, and you kick it from, uh, let's say, either conventional or even sport mode to track mode. Yeah, it just you can feel the car almost sit down, and you know, let's well, go play. Well, they squat. They do the squat thing. Yeah, it's and like, they do it well. People don't understand. I say, just you know, I've had people drive the car, and I say, just move that, move that dial down, and they move it down, and they can feel it. They can feel that jump, and of course, it. it, it it, it, it shifts down and it's ready to move. Yeah, know? those are fantastic cars. It's a, and it's a little cushier than the GT3. The GT3 can be a little rough. Yeah, it's 
you know, I drove the GT3 first. Yeah. Uh, and I've tracked the GT3. And, and it's, it's a great uh, track car. It's a fantastic track car. But the one thing I noticed about the GT3 when I, when I even drove that was I expected a lot more animal instinct when you kick it and it start to go, and it's not. It is a pleasure to Did drive. Did you drive the regular or the RS? No, the regular. The RS is, yeah. They, they, pulled, they were sandbagging a little bit on the regular <laughs> GT3, which is kind of funny to say because that car is fantastic. But the RS... I, I haven't personally been it, but everybody, I everybody, all my friends have basically driven the damn thing, and they're like, "Oh yeah, it's a big, big difference." Well, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to drive it then, because I have to tell you, I was a little, I don't want to say scared, that's not quite apprehensive. Is that mm-hmm. a more polite word? That's fine. Uh, I was more apprehensive uh, about getting into the GT3, and, and I was thinking it was gonna really jump on me, you know, and yeah. it really wasn't. It well, was. You gotta wind that car out a little bit. It was very but controlled. Yeah, yeah. the uh, the RS makes a little more torque, so it's a little better at that. I enjoy it. I tell you, it was it's uh, it's always a pleasure. And I, to be honest with you, the nine eleven to me when you put it in track mode is uh, is just as just as wild and aggressive. The turbo, as the GT3. I mean, it may not be as fat. And like, and we're talking fractions when you're not a pro driver, fractions of a second slower in a corner. But it makes so much more power that it makes up for it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I if you talk to if you talk to real drivers, <laughs> not, yeah. not just me, they they'll tell me that the nine eleven turbo S is as good or better than the GT three. They'll say, yeah. in in at least, you know, being quote unquote faster. So see, I, I enjoy it. Next I time think. I see Pat Long, I'm going to grill him on that. Ask him. But yeah. I've, I've talked to two or three drivers. And said, this this is just as fast, if not faster, than the GT3. Yeah. Uh, yeah the last I saw him a few weeks ago. We were at a uh, event for the game Project Cars yeah. and CXC Racing in LA, and uh, somebody pulled up in a brand new uh, McLaren 720. We're both looking at this thing. We're like, Jesus. This thing is, I mean, I know he's a Porsche driver, and you know, but we're both looking at this thing. We're like, yeah, these guys are throwing out some serious competition for McLaren. I, you know, that's another one of my cars that I'm looking at right now. Is uh, I, I even like the five. You know, is, the five seventy nice is fantastic, and they're stupid fast. Anybody that tells you, oh, it's not the seven twenty or the six, you know, it's no. It's, I do have an appointment in Chicago. I probably won't do it before the before the snow flies. But in springtime, I'm going to go over and, and, and drive the the five uh, seven. You can do is you're going to come out. You're going to come out to L.A. and do your test drives out there. That would make sense. Yeah, just go do it on PCH. I did a lot of test drives when I was at Pebble this year. Surprisingly, I drove the NSX. Have you driven that car? I have not been in the new NSX. It's kind of an odd duck but it's it's really cool in a lot of regards you know to me it's uh it, it's not as uh raw as any sports car that i've ever been in it is a very controlled uh, tactile kind of yeah. electronic kind of drive it, to it but it is it is definitely fast yeah definitely responsive that and the gtr i mean you know, I've spent a little bit of time in the GTR. Yep. Haven't been in the new NSX, but I mean, my perspective on kind of the Japanese end of it is that you don't get the raw feeling, but they're very, very good at translating intent into that performance. You know, like the gas pedal and everything, or the brake pedal in the NSX, if I remember correctly, isn't even necessarily connected to the rest of the braking system. Yep. It's electronically controlled by the ECU and goes, okay, what was the intent in this corner? What did you want to actually do to brake? And I th- you know, I think that's noticeable a little bit. You yeah. know, it is it is but I think it gives you a little bit of foresight into you what you might be and I'm not saying it's a negative of what you might be seeing when you go to brake by wire. We're working on a lot yeah. of brake by wire now and trying to understand what's the feeling 
that people want in that kind of system. So we've seen power steering come off of the hydraulic system driven by mm-hmm. the engine. Mm-hmm. Are we looking at braking kind of heading in a similar way? Absolutely. Yeah? Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, we've been doing brake-by-wire for several years. We use it in F1 uh, on at least one axle. Uh, and uh, there's a couple advantages to it. Obviously, responsiveness is one thing we're seeing. All right, we're well, in a race car, instant brake bias electronically, right? Yep, yep. And so cool. you're gonna you're gonna see a lot of uh, you know y- y- we think we'll see an inc- improvement in safety just because of responsiveness. So if you need to brake, you hit the pedal, you get you get instantaneous. Now you don't feel it, but you do get better braking. All right, number yep. one. Uh, number two, you get adjustability. Uh, and it's infinite. That's the nice thing is when we go electronic, you can do whatever the hell you want. You want a soft, cushy pedal? Fine. Yeah. You know, I mean, we, we do a lot of the adjustments for master cylinders and stuff like that for all I the call drivers. That, I call that Camry pedal. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. So, I mean, when you take a look at that, uh, imagine, you know, now you adjust, right, regular track or sport or whatever, and yeah. then track. Now you can do this. Now not only suspension changes, not only your shift pattern changes, but you can adjust your braking. To, to be more tactile, more harder, or if you like to ride the brakes, soft, cushy. You yeah. know, or you and I'm imagining at that point, too, the the vectoring systems at that point, you know, like Honda's SH all-wheel drive, mm-hmm. are probably even, you've got a little more resolution on those sensors that you can actually even use the brakes to pivot a little better than, than previously, right? It's, you know, <laughs> you're talking like a lot of the guys that I talk to, drivers, who say, are you going to be able to do this? Are you going to be able to do this? You know, I'm thinking they want to, you know, for right turns, can we change all yeah, the, yeah. you know, you know, change everything. So it's it's to me, it's very very interesting. Uh, the the things now. I don't know if a lot of our customers who decide to go to electronic braking are going to want all this adjustability because you know, it's it can be it can be uh, uh, you can have a good benefit from it. A blessing mm-hmm. could be a disaster. You know, in, in changing all these different things without understanding why you're changing them. Well, anywhere. you know, maybe it's something you only see on the performance model. Yep. And you know, on the 350 or the Z28 or the ZR or whatever it's going to be. Well, you don't get that on the regular one because it's very driver intent. It's like the new ZL11 LE. Yep. That is not a good car for most people. It's it's it rides rough, but that's on purpose. Yep. Yep. You know, well, it's got it's got a different purpose, you know, for for why it was it was sold. For so. somebody that wants to beat the hell out of it on track. I one thing I would recommend, I tell our engineers this a lot when we're talking, I said you definitely need to have a reset to factory defaults if you're going to start playing with that. Yeah. Because, you know, it's no different than our manufacturing process. Once you start changing 15 different parameters, uh, you, you never get them back I, in I'd line. almost like to see just kind of uh, a very, very simple, you know, one, two, three button where, you know, maybe zero takes you absolutely back to factory and then one, two, and three are pre-programmed as you would have liked them. I want the suspension here, and the shift points here, and the braking here, and then two is a separate. I think that's you know. the way to do it. I mean, or you do a one, two, three with factory suggested settings, and then yeah. you maybe give them a custom setting aside. But I would not just open it up. I, you know, I think I agree with you. I think you have to do that. You just can't. Uh, not everyone truly knows what they're doing. Oh, that and the other times <laughs> is sometimes you get into a car like that and you just want it to be soft and easy rather than going like you're going to a canyon or a track day. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I know I certainly do that. And like my, my little Fiesta daily driver, I put that in, you know, as comfortable as mode as possible, as lazy as I can when I'm driving in LA traffic because I'm like, eh, I don't need the performance right now and I just want it to be smooth. How do you feel about autonomy? In, in the vehicle. It's interesting because I talked to a lot of drivers. You talk to like a Tanner Faust. You yeah. talk to, uh, uh, you know, MotoGP riders that we'll talk to. And you talk to guys who, you know, obviously drive for a living. 
I don't really see a lot of uh, those guys really buying into the autonomous world. But uh, no. do you see any benefit in it other than commuting a long distance where you want to sleep in the back of the car? I, I will tell you, I have been in one of the new Teslas with the computer vision system and everything, and, oh, that's a nice ride to work. That's a nice ride to work in the morning where you don't really have to put that much thought into it and you're half asleep. But, and it's, I think, frankly, for a lot of people... Do you hold the wheel or you not hold the wheel? You, you, just you only have to touch it, it every once in a while. That's it. Yeah. It, it's most... I mean, I know people that literally drove across the country... And uh, I can't remember what the little hack was that they did, but they found a way that basically I was like balancing a little weight or something on the wheel, and it would just that was enough input that basically just drove itself almost all the way from New York to California. I don't know. I like to drive. <laughs> I do too, but I don't. I think that there's room for both. I think yeah. there's absolutely room for both. Is that you know, on the Tesla, you you don't have to have that on. Yep. You can turn it off. And I don't find that to be a bad option. I'd love to have one of those just kind of the commuter car. Now, have you driven the 3 yet, Model 3? No, no. I don't really think anybody has yet. I could be wrong. No comment. Well, I mean, from my side of the fence. <laughs> you're on the other side of the fence where you get to play with stuff early. So There's yeah. a certain new mid-engined car I'm sure you've already played with as well. No comment. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> but that's to be expected. I mean, you, you guys have to get access to that stuff because you're part of the R&D. Yeah. I mean, we uh, we hope anyway. Yeah. I, I think you've got a pretty good track record with that company. I think you've got a good shot at that contract. I know. No comment. But I'm just saying. You guys are pretty. You guys are good. So um, so you've been walking around SEMA a little bit. Um, is anything from anybody else that's kind of sticking out at you? was like, that's really cool. You know, um, one thing I noticed in this show, just a general statement, is, and somebody mentioned it to me, and I, I, as I walked through the show, you know, last day and a half, uh, there's a lot of money being put into these cars. I mean, it's previous years in SEMA, it's we really saw picked up some over the last two years. Front end work, or good exterior work, or yeah. great interior work. But there are some full boat remodels, a lot of them in this car, which says, geez, I mean, some of these are seven, eight, nine, ten month year projects. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of them here. Oh, I know a pl- I know more than a few guys that they're two years plus. Yeah. And, and that, to me, is the biggest surprise, is this show has really stepped up the the quality of the builds that you see. I, I remember uh, when I first started coming to SEMA, when you had a $250,000 car, people were like, oh, that's a, that's a lot of money. Now, that's, a one, a, that's affordable. A one show. plus, a one, one, one point two million is is pretty common. Another thing I saw this year was uh, a lot of use of carbon. A lot of use of carbon. Which I like to see. Uh, and uh, there's a company called Speedcore, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, did some Mustangs here. I think they did a Demon uh, here. Uh, beautiful. I mean, just, and not just wildly uh, uh, exotic with huge flares and no. whatever, but very uh, subtle accents. Just subtle accents, the... but they have like a complete Mustang. If you go up to the, the Ford booth behind mm-hmm. us here, uh, over on the right side, You'll see this Mustang convertible. They put carbon seats in it. They put a beautiful interior, like a leather interior over the carbon. I wish I could sit in it because I'd like to see how comfortable that is. I'm, making, I'm guessing you could make a couple calls and probably sit in it I at can a later do it. I can do it. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, I thought really, really beautiful uh, work that they're doing. And and, it, and it's still a Mustang. You know, you don't look at it and go, uh, Mustang body, uh, let me go look and see what that I is. Mean, it looks out, good. Out of all the manufacturers here, um, I mean, obviously Ford and Chevy have the biggest presence. Yep. yep. Um, 
and as great as like Chevy's showing off all their new product and the GMPP stuff, but frankly, Ford does a better job of showcasing their modified stuff. Yep. Um, they do a really good job, and I mean, it, you can go and gawk at that stuff for an hour alone easily. And you know, I thought it was relatively reasonable too. When it, when it comes to cost, when you and, take a look at this stuff. And people may be hearing that noise, and I, I should say, just because they've been such a gracious uh, sponsor of our time here, Magnaflow won SEMA Manufacturer of the Year last night. Ah. Okay. Uh, and, yeah, they're very excited about that. So that's a big deal, as you well know. Cool company. And, it, you know, yeah. and I, I think getting an honor from SEMA is always something that uh, uh, that should be appreciated. Well, I think the people of, here really do appreciate and it. And there's a lot of stiff competition around here, too. Yeah, I would say so. So. Dan, it's been a pleasure. I'm glad to have you back again this yeah. year. Are we done already? Yeah. I, I, yeah, we went through a half an hour like that. It's fantastic. Fantastic. I, right. you know, I, I love talking cars. I love talking brakes. I love talking uh, uh, great stuff. And I love being at SEMA. I tell you, I, uh, this year, I uh, even though I didn't get to see it as much as I like to, uh, I'm really enthused. I tell you, I haven't been this enthused on a Friday <laughs> after a long week like I, this I in a long time. I will say this is the least worn out I've been on a SEMA Friday ever myself. And I, I, I was doing twice as much. But You're just pacing yourself. You get away from those 2 o'clock in the morning parties, and you can last see, a lot I, longer. I, I haven't done those for like seven or eight years. You're a smart guy. So, <laughs> once again, this has been the Hooniverse Podcast from the SEMA 2017 show floor. Thanks to Magnaflow for hosting us. And Dan. Dan, the man from Brembo. Hey, thank you. All right. Appreciate it.